there and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue BTN.com and I'm pumped on these airwaves because it is officially college basketball season and I'm a big college football fan. I love covering the sport, but I've always been a college basketball guy to my core for whatever reason. I grew up following it more closely than football. So, you know, this is like the beginning holiday season for me, which, you know, kind of actually is in real life because, you know, Thanksgiving coming up and all that. Anyway, um, before we get to our guests, I just want to touch on one thing with the season starting up. There's a guy, a, a very respected college hoops writer named John Rothstein, who tweets like a college basketball countdown every year when the season, it counts down to when the season, quote, officially begins. So, you know, that's cool, right? But he counts down to like the first official day of practice. So he's tweeting the summer and the countdown ends at like the end of September and we're we're still six weeks away from the actual basketball season, which, which is now. So I've always had, you know, I've always had a bone to pick with him that he counts down and it ends and, you know, some people are like, college basketball season's here already? And then, no, actually we got six more weeks to wait. That, that just means practice is starting. So John Rothstein, I beg to differ. This is the actual official beginning of college basketball season. And Mr. Rothstein, if you ever want to come on the podcast to discuss, because I know you're listening right now, I'd be thrilled to have you. Um, but to commemorate the true start of the season Friday and this aircraft carrier-sized boatload of games we have tipping off this weekend, we got 12 games Friday and two Saturday and a bunch more on Sunday. So it's all getting started here. To commemorate that, we got one of college basketball's best analysts to join us on the show for a tip-off episode, if you will, to get this thing rolling. And that guest is Andy Katz, who many of you probably know from his time at ESPN. He was all over college hoops there for the better part of two decades, and he hosted a popular show Outside the Lines for a while as well. So unfortunately, Andy, as uh, many have heard, was swept up in those widespread ESPN layoffs back in April. But uh, one company's loss is another's gain, as we got him signed on here at BTN to contribute to College Hoops coverage throughout the season. So on the episode here shortly, he lays out what he'll be doing for us during our upcoming discussion and throughout the season. And then we uh, shift to some actual preview topics as well, focusing on the Big Ten and, and some just some general College Hoops talk. And just a side note before we get going, we will be continuing to do football focus episodes through the football season uh we had one just come out with mike huganin and uh, we'll hopefully have a regular basketball subset of episodes throughout the season as well i'm thinking of calling it you know we got the football focus i'm thinking of calling it buckets breakdown or something like that but, but we'll see that's not that's not final yet if we got any creative names shoot them my way we'll we'll uh weigh the options and we will get right to that discussion with andy katz in just a moment but first couple of reminders number one please continue to listen and subscribe to the take 10 podcast if you haven't already we are available on apple Podcasts, on itunes on google play and on podbean as well so if you like the show you listen to it please leave a rating and review and one final reminder we have a coupon code that is still valid on our btn.com shop that allows you to take 10 percent off your order with the coupon code take 10 that's capital t-a-k-e the numbers one and zero. So on that btn.com store, uh, you can get a lot of good stuff. And since you know late football season, early basketball season, that means it's holiday season. So get your holiday shopping done on btn.com under the store tab and use that coupon code to save you some coins. You can get 
you know, Big Ten license apparel, Nike Jordan, Under Armour, uh, Adidas, whatever your school apparel lines up with, you can find it there. All right, with that plug out of the way, let's move on finally to our discussion with longtime college basketball reporter, current PTN analyst, Andy Katz. I'm very pleased to be joined by one of the premier college basketball voices in the country, Andy Katz. We're very excited to be bringing him on this season at BTN as he's been very prominent covering the sport for the better part of two decades at least, and he's just on the phone with me this morning. Andy, how you doing? Uh, doing great and really excited to uh, join the Big Ten Network family. Yeah, welcome. And, uh, of course, Andy was at ESPN since the uh, late 1990s, I believe, and is now with us here at Big Ten Network, and with college basketball officially getting underway Friday, we got a ton of games coming up Friday in the Big Ten. I knew I had to try and get Andy on this week for a preview show, so thanks again, Andy, for joining me. And before we get into the uh, the nitty-gritty here, can you lay out for fans what you'll be doing at BTN this season and when Big Ten fans can expect to see you on the network? So um, I'm going to be doing four non-conference games. I've got... Uh, Longwood at Illinois, App State at Ohio State, Tennessee Tech at Indiana, and UMass Lowell at Wisconsin. So I'll be sort of that hybrid analyst reporter for those four non-conference games. Those are all in December. And then I will be in the studio um, once in November, later this month, November 27th. Uh, And then every Wednesday, beginning January 3rd, uh, up until the Big Ten tournament, where I don't know for sure what my role will be there, but... uh, uh, I would hope that I'll be a part of the Big Ten tournament as well. Um, and then, you know, obviously I'm going to try to get to um, as many sort of Big Ten games as possible. Um, I know uh, next Monday, uh, since we're taking this in advance of the opening weekend, uh, I'm going to just shoot over to Minnesota Providence, part of the uh, Gavit games between the Big Ten and the Big East. And so that's I'm still living in the East Coast and in Connecticut, so easy one for me to get to to see the Gophers. Uh, and so, you know, I want to just sort of, you know, get out there when I can and uh, contribute as much as I can to, to BTN. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, it's a uh, huge get for us to have you contributing to the network and as someone who's you know followed your work forever, it seems like uh, a really cool opportunity to talk to you now. And while the majority of this episode will be uh, previewing the current hoop season, uh, when I get established professionals on the show, uh, I do like to ask about, you know, what's going on other than uh, what they're covering right now. And, and as your latest career developments have been very public, as you were unfortunately part of the widespread recent layoffs at ESPN. So uh, before signing on with us, uh, you did some football work at UConn, right? Yeah, so it was an interesting time, to say the least, in my professional life. Uh, so when this all went down in April, um, you know, there were a lot of restrictions put on us. And, um, you know, we, no one was quite sure if we could do things in the sport uh, that we were primarily covering. So over the summer, I hosted uh, the Football Media Day, or co-hosted the American Conference in Rhode Island. And it was at that time that UConn approached me and said, hey, are you doing anything during football season? I said, no, this is in July. And they said, well, do you want to help us at our home football games? Uh, just doing sort of some in-stadium uh, video board stuff. So I said, sure. And ESPN let me do it. Uh, because it was sort of out of my, you know, it was not part of uh, of my sort of sphere of influence. Um, and so I did that. Actually, they just completed their home football season. So that was done. Um, also, at the time, 
um, was in conversations with Boston College about teaching a course, uh, which I am going to do beginning in January, um, and uh, that's going to be on uh, a Tuesday night in January in the spring semester called Sports Media and Public Affairs. So I'm going to do that before I come to Chicago for the Big Ten Network studio uh, commitments. And then what's changed is over the summer, um, basically things have softened a little, which is good for uh, people like me. And uh, so I approached them when I had this opportunity to do the Big Ten Network, and um, they were agreeable. So uh, we got that done. And then there's a chance, well, one thing I'm definitely doing for sure um, that doesn't involve the Big Ten team, but obviously other teams, uh, next weekend um, they also allowed me to do a, um, a tournament. Uh, was supposed to be in St. Thomas, but because of the hurricanes, uh, it's called the Paradise Jam. Uh, it got moved to Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, Colorado, Wake Forest, Houston, uh, Liberty, Mercer, Drake, Quinnipiac, and Drexel. Uh, you know, just traditional sort of non-conference tournament the weekend before Thanksgiving. So I'll be doing that. It's actually being streamed on Flow Sports. Um, so I'll be doing that next weekend before um, I start some of my Big Ten Network stuff. All right, sounds good. And if I'm remembering correctly, did you kind of dive into any college football coverage at ESPN? Uh, I seem to remember maybe like, because I know Schefter has done crossover too, but was that ever part of your repertoire there? Well, I mean, it was part of my career early on, mm-hmm. but not at ESPN. I mean, when I was in Madison, uh, I covered, and I was just there actually two weeks ago. I think I said I covered, because Coach Alvarez came my senior year, and of the whatever we decided, it was like 35 games, I think, over my four years. I think I only missed two. Uh, and those were the two that were, you know, flight games, if you will. I think they played once in Hawaii, and they played once. Uh, in maybe Wyoming or someone like that, or UNLV. Yep. Other than that, I went to every, I covered every football game for uh, the Daily Cardinal, or you know, helping out the Milwaukee Journal or the State Journal. Um, so I covered football, and then when I went to New Mexico and Fresno before I went to ESPN, I did a little football, uh, and actually did some NFL too. When I was in the Fresno B, we'd cover the Raiders and the Niners. So uh, definitely my background, but uh, you know, and I follow the sport obviously. But uh, they had not done it sort of per se at ESPN. All right. Well, we got you on for hoops, so that's what we'll talk about now. Uh, and even though we're about to roll out the balls and play here, it seemed like offseason has taken forever just because of the ongoing uh, FBI investigation that's kind of muddying the waters. So I was hoping to get an update from someone like you who obviously has their ear to the ground. Um, if you had to guess, will this you know, ongoing scandal disrupt the season in regards to more current coaches coming under fire? Because it seems like we've heard – whispers of you know maybe more uh more charges being brought or more disruption coming so if you had to guess will will this disrupt the season at all i think what we're going to see is i think we're going to see disruptions early in the season um and we're all sort of waiting to see what will happen this next week to see what players are being held out uh, colin sexton was already held out in an exhibition at alabama right. two players at auburn that are being held out um you know what schools normally do is they don't usually announce these things until right game day or the day before. So over the next week, I mean, we could see some players who are, are being held out because of this investigation in terms of coaches, uh, being in trouble, if you will, or suspended. I'm not convinced outside of the assistant coaches that we're going to see that happen in the short term, because I think this investigation overall is going to take a while. 
investigations, whether federal or NCAA, do take a while. So, I mean, this one to even get to this point took three years. So uh, I'm not convinced that there will be that kind of disruption at the coaching level. Um, but I do think early on we will see it at the player level because schools don't want to play a player who they think, you know, could be deemed ineligible and then have to, you know, have them cost games. So that's where I think we'll see the effect of that here early in the season. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to follow. And um, one more aspect of the offseason that has really kind of made it seem like college basketball has been in the limelight earlier than usual has been the charity basketball scrimmages and all these exhibition games that have been uh, taking place the last few weeks. And there's been some really good matchups, and it seems like there's been more uh, exhibition headlines this year, more than ever. And because a lot of them seem to benefit hurricane relief, uh, I mean, there are other causes being benefited too. Uh, it was a really cool thing to see. And I think uh, we saw some cool matchups because coaches are less afraid to agree to these, obviously. They don't count, and you don't have to agree to any home-and-home obligations. <coughs> but uh, do you think preseasons will kind of continue in this format? Because, uh, you know, they're getting eyeballs on, on these games, and there's been money raised for charity. Or is this kind of a one-off just because we had these unfortunate natural disasters and uh, the, the causes sprang up kind of spontaneously? Well, I hope they're going to continue. In fact, I would argue that these should either complement or replace the, quote, secret scrimmages that are going on as well, um, because what they're being able to see is um, they can, A, monetize it, you know, for a charity, and so that's that's great PR and obviously doing something good. Sure. So that's number one. Number two, um, the players love, you know, competing against high-level teams. And I think we saw that for sure in that Missouri-Kansas exhibition game, which was like a high-level game for late October and raised, you know, tons of money. And it was a great fan interest, even though the, the, the result didn't matter. Um, you know, I think ultimately it's something that benefited all parties. And I think that it would behoove these schools, you know, to, to take heed to what they were able to accomplish here and continue to do, do this because um, it's, you want to have things that are going to be positive that you can control. These are controllables. Uh, you can't control, you know, what's going on with this investigation. But you can control uh, things like these exhibition games where you can create regional matchups that have value to the communities that you can, people are going to want to attend and then contribute money to. And then you're going to get a benefit with your team because you put them in a high-level stress situation to see how they react early in the season. And those games are always going to be better than, you know, a blowout, which we're going to see a lot of, you know, this weekend with the sort of everyone likes to have that opening game to get the jitters out of the way, but it usually is against a team that uh, is at a much lower level for a high-powered uh, power team in a high-powered league. Yeah, I like it. That, I mean, first of all, I don't, I don't really get much out of, just like probably most fans get much out of seeing these, you know, Big Ten schools pretty much effectively scrimmage, you know, directional schools and smaller uh, D1 schools the opening weekend. I mean, I, no one really, really enjoys that. So it's cool to see actual competition, and, and even if you take an L, it doesn't hurt you at all in the uh, win column, obviously. Um, so we'll we'll move on now to specific Big Ten hoops, and uh, we will kind of use one of the exhibition results to, to frame the discussion. And that's Michigan State uh, and the way they performed in their opener against Ferris State. They kind of struggled with Ferris State, and it's not, you know, like we, we've talked about, it's not a big deal if you struggle in exhibition games. It doesn't count, and it's hardly out of the ordinary for even great teams in the preseason. But uh, just watching Michigan State, even though they struggled in the opening game, 
you can tell how talented and deep they are. They have uh, a ton coming back, and the freshmen they're bringing in are fantastic as well. So I don't think there's a question of uh, if that team will start gelling but win. So my question for you is, do you think they'll struggle early in the season, uh, You know, whether it's getting enough touches for everybody or, or with outside shooting, or do you think they'll come out blazing um, and, and really not miss a beat? Because we've seen Michigan State teams struggle in the preseason, and that's kind of how Tom Izzo likes it, I think. But uh, they got some big games early on, including against Duke and Notre Dame. So do you think it'll take an adjustment period for them to get going? I mean, it just seems like it always does. And, you know, March is made for Izzo. Um, but I don't know if it's the way he sort of grinds them early in the year. I, I just can't remember a, a November, December where Michigan State did not struggle to some degree, whether it was with a loss or struggle to get a win um, or be pushed by an Oakland-type team or something like that. Uh, it just seems like it always happens. You know, Northeastern, you know, he takes chance. First of all, he goes on the road. In a lot of places, other people wouldn't go. Right. Uh, and then, um, you know, by the way, he's got a team where he's got some players that are coming back from some injuries from last year. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I think it's, and, and like you said, integrating some new freshmen and guys that are taking a little bit more of a leadership role. Um, so I'm not shocked that they would, you know, struggle in an exhibition game. Uh, let's see how they do in the champions and then go forward. But, I mean, uh, it just seems to be par for the course. And, and I never am, quote, worried about Michigan State ultimately not, you know, reaching, for the most part, its potential uh, come March. It just seems like that's ultimately what will happen. Yeah, I don't think uh, anyone's too concerned at all, like you said. Um, you know, March, and by the way, yeah. Alex, sometimes their potential isn't that far. You know what I mean? Like, maybe they just weren't as talented, so their potential is just get to the second round. But they usually do, outside of that year, uh, was it two years ago, when they lost in the first round, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you could argue the year they lost to UConn in the Garden, where they shot too many threes, that team probably should have gone to the Final Four, but it's just a bad matchup, and they didn't handle that game as well, as, I, as and Tom would admit this, you know, that uh, um, they didn't pound them inside as much as they probably should have. But other than that, for the most part, they kind of get close to where they, they should be. Um, you know, and, and he's always said that they're never the most talented team. I mean, they have talent, but they're, they're not usually loaded with, you know, a slew of NBA players, guys that usually have to earn their way into the NBA. So, um, uh, I, I, you know, I fully expect the same thing to happen this year. Yeah, and we'll get a uh, awesome look at them coming up in uh, a week against against Duke here in Chicago. So that'll be fantastic to see. Um, I'm going to move on to another Big Ten contender. That's a team I was already very high on uh, heading into the season, and, and for good reason. That's Minnesota. They have a lot of talent coming back, and uh, I wasn't familiar with one of the freshmen they had coming in until recently, and that's Isaiah Washington. Uh, he's a, a freshman out of New York City, pretty highly rated, I think a top 60 kid. Andy Katz, are you familiar with uh, Isaiah Washington and the whole Jelly Fam phenomenon? Because I was not until about a week ago. I am not. Uh, so, uh, you know, um, I would just say a general comment that I think that uh, we have to applaud Richard Pitino because of a couple things. A, um, it was legitimate to question if he was ready for this level of job when he got it. And it was a little shaky early, which was understandable um, because of what he was taking over and also replacing someone who he essentially 
you know, I wouldn't say a father figure, but I mean, at the same time was like, you know, a older mentor, you know, Tubby Smith has been around his whole life because he was an assistant to his dad. And so the fact that, you know, he's able to take over this program, weather that early storm, if you will, and get them in a position where they could legitimately contend for a Big Ten title and deal with the fact that now his father has been sort of, you know, shamed and is out of the game mm-hmm. and be able to still focus on that. Uh, I, I'm really impressed with the way he's matured and sort of grown into this kind of a position. Yeah, like, so that's a little sidebar here. Likewise, and, and like you said, it looked really shaky there for a while. I mean, they won eight games a couple of years ago, and they had the suspensions on the team, the turmoil, and you know what they were able to do last season was was uh, you know really impressive. And I'm going to fill you in on the Jelly Fam phenomenon because I hadn't heard about it until uh, last week. So Isaiah Washington on Minnesota has this finger roll that he does, and and he's kind of created a social media subculture out of the, the Jelly Roll. So he did it in, a, in the exhibition game. He did it all in high school, and it's like this this scoop finger roll, and he he's created a whole phenomenon around it. And um, not only that. He, he, it's not all hype. He, he dropped 26 points in their final exhibition game. So that's just another weapon to add to, you know, Amir Coffey, Reggie Lynch, Nate Mason, Jordan Murphy. So, I, I mean, I think they're as deep as, maybe almost as deep as Michigan State. Yeah, and that's why I think that they will be, you know, a team that legitimately could go, you know, a couple rounds in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, he's, I remember Big Time Media Day, uh, Richard was talking about how they've been really banged up early. And so that, this is another team that I think confidence-wise, you know, in this Providence game, for example, that would be monstrous for them to get that kind of a win on the road this early in the season. But I also think this is the kind of team that I think will take some time to gel, dealing with these injuries, and as long as they can stay um, positive if they do weather a few losses early, they're going to be fine in the Big Ten, like you said, because of this depth. Uh, but they're probably going to need some confidence-building wins to say, you know what, yeah, we are this good this early in the season. So that's why I think it'll be very interesting to watch how they fare in the non-conference. Yeah, agreed. And I'm going to shift the discussion now to the defending Big Ten champs, and I'm going to frame my Purdue question in the context of some top 25 analysis uh, in the Big Ten. And we all know that preseason top 25s mean little to nothing. I mean, they're fun for people to break down. But uh, when the rankings came out last week, Purdue was at number 20, I believe. They were lower than Minnesota, lower than Northwestern, and obviously lower than Michigan State. And just being someone for, I mean, it's my job that, to, to keep an eye on social media. And, and a lot of Purdue fans were uh, upset that, you know, with the belief that they were underrated. And I think it's one of those things now that they almost enjoy that, being underrated, that fan base. So with that being said, do you believe Purdue's underrated? And, and even if they are, do you even think it's a bad thing for a program like that to you know, kind of have that chip on their shoulder a little bit? Um, <clears throat> you know, I first of all, I don't think the ratings will matter that much yeah. this early. Uh, you can't dismiss the loss of Caleb Swanigan. I mean, he was uh, an anchor inside for them, someone they could count on to get double-doubles um, and produce at a high clip every night out. And it also was the little things that you could argue he would do where even if he didn't touch the ball – you knew he was had the potential to create havoc inside. And so, you know, the defense was constantly monitoring where he was on the floor. So that there's that sort of collateral effect of knowing where he is, even if he's not scoring or rebounding at that moment. So you take him out, and that's a big void. Now, they've got, as you mentioned, and 
you know, they've got plenty of talent still returning, obviously, with Carson Edwards and Vincent Edwards and Dakota Mathias. I mean, they've got all the pieces, if you will, to, to produce a potential Big Ten title team again. Uh, their trip to Taipei as part of the World University Games, I don't think you can dismiss the value in that. Uh, the extra practices, the high-level competition being pushed, um, you know, in, in a real global tournament, I think will ultimately have, you know, tremendous value for Purdue long-term. So I, I think that those three schools, um, and then the question is, does Northwestern fit into that, um, are, are probably going to sort of beat each other. Um, I don't think you, as good as Michigan State can be, I, I just don't see it in the Big Ten of a team running away. Uh, and so, you know, I think Michigan State is made up, sort of has the best chance to be a title team as a national title team. But I wouldn't be shocked if Michigan State, Purdue, and Minnesota are all finishing within a game of each other for the regular season title. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Northwestern because I couldn't let the podcast go by without uh, bringing Cats up when Cats is on. So, uh, what do you what do you think uh, what do you think about Northwestern this year? Do you think that with pretty much everyone coming back, they can take a step forward even without that kind of high of the NCAA tournament run hanging over them? Yeah, I mean, I think now there's a desire, as Chris Collins said at, at Big Ten Media Day, to you know maintain it. Sometimes that's the hardest thing. Climbing that mountain, you know, they were so close so many different times that they just couldn't get over it. And then you do, and then you, you know, you're successful. And now you got to sustain it. Well, everyone, for the most part, came back. And, uh, you know, and they've got an outstanding lead guard in Bryant McIntosh. Um, they've got all the pieces to be a top four team and a team that can get, you know, win a couple games in the NCAA tournament. I will say this, though. I would not dismiss the effect of playing their games at Allstate Arena. Is that what, is that what it's still called? Yeah, I can't remember. Allstate. And, yeah. Um, yeah, by O'Hare. Yep. Um, you know, long-term, this is tremendous for them to get a new facility or refurbish Welsh Ryan uh, on campus. They need it. But um, they had a great home court last year. And, you know, the problem for DePaul for decades of shipping students out there was ship, students don't want to go out there. Now, you have a winner in Northwestern, sort of an oxymoron at times, but now you do. And so you may have the students really make a commitment to make that, you know, rush hour bus drive or drive or train out to the, out to the arena that maybe DePaul students didn't have because they didn't have the buy-in. So this will be a very interesting test because they're good enough to, you know, win all their home games and have a dominant home record. But will the atmosphere be the same that they had on campus it won't be but can they try to recreate that and so i'm going to really be watching this because um i I do think that potentially could have a little bit of an effect you know on maybe one game during the home season or two depending upon weather and all that and uh, but they got to do it they got to do it long term and they really had no other choice so um that's one little sort of interesting curveball that'll be uh, i'll be trending to see sort of see how that goes yeah it's a great point because you know, Welsh Ryan Arena seats, I think, 8,000 people, and it can get rowdy in there, but you're just not going to have the numbers trying to fill up a 18,000-seat All-State Arena, and the, the atmosphere will be, I think, starkly different. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be something interesting to follow for sure. Um, I'm very intrigued to see the, the crowd turn out there and see how many people get out to Rosemont, but um, I think the Cats are 
have enough talent to you know overcome any home court deficiencies at least uh, at least on the surface. So um, moving on, uh, we got some Thanksgiving tournaments coming up in a few weeks here, and you know it seems like there's so many now. It feels like it's entered the college football bowl game territory, really, where you know everyone's in yeah. one and they're all over the place. And um, you know Maui was always the big one, and I'd say it, it's still probably the crown jewel of the Thanksgiving tournaments, but. Now it just seems all these platforms are, are multiplied. You got, you know, 2K Classic, you got Atlantis, and then in Vegas, Cancun, and everywhere else. So um, which early season tournament are you most looking forward to? And uh, do you think it's kind of been oversaturated with, with all the different tournaments going on? Uh, yes, but at the same time, uh, especially with college football being so dominant at this time of the year, um, I think it's critical that teams play in these non-conference tournaments. I mean, really, Kentucky, you know, is the outlier. They don't have to. Uh, they could draw no matter when, what time of the year. But uh, I do think that, and Kansas fits in that as well, uh, because basically football doesn't matter as much on those two campuses. So I think it's great for these schools to get out, play three games in four days or two games in three days or however it's broken up uh, to, you know, be in a, not, in, in a tournament-like setting. Um you know, I think that, uh, uh, you know, I'm, from a national perspective, I'll be really interested to see what happens with um, Arizona down in the battle for Atlantis uh, because, you know, we just don't know how they're going to handle because the, the cloud's over their head. So that's going to be one to certainly watch. Um, you know, um, the I'm trying to remember the matchups in some of these other ones. Um, obviously, the PK-80. Um, will be one that um, uh, it's two different mat- two different you know tournaments, and I can't I haven't memorized where everyone falls in those, but how Duke and Carolina respectively do in those, like Gonzaga, you know, even though they lost uh, Nigel Williams, Goss, and Zach Collins, they still have a lot more returning. So that one will be very intriguing to watch as well, uh, and that's sort of a one-off to celebrate Phil Knight's 80th birthday. So you know, Maui obviously still you know has interest. But um, I think overall, how Arizona does in Atlantis is the one that I'll be sort of watching the most. Sure, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't really get tired of, even though there's so many, like I, I'll watch anything over, especially over like Thanksgiving when you're home and eating and you just want to, you know, hang out on the couch and watch hoops. So I love it. Um, and then before even those get underway, we've got a, a couple huge matchups. We mentioned the Champions Classic, number three versus number two, uh, less than a week away by the time this is released. And, uh, some other good non-conference matchups in the Gavit games, like you said. Um, so we, we discussed the kind of top four teams in the Big Ten that we expect to uh, to finish near the top. But before I let you go, I was hoping you'd give me a couple sleepers that you have in the Big Ten, a couple teams maybe like a Minnesota last year that uh, you know might surprise some people or, or teams that are poised for a leap this year in the Big Ten. Well, um, I will tell you, I was at Wisconsin's practice uh, Friday, two Fridays ago, and, you know, they're never going to win the airport award, okay? They're not going to wow you when you see them, but they've got the pieces again. And, um, you know, Dimitri Trice and Ethan Happ, obviously the names that everyone knows, but I will tell you, by the end of the Big Ten season, people will know Kobe King. Kobe King has a little bit of Vinnie Johnson to him from Detroit Pistons fans. I mean, he's got kind of a stocky, looks like a, you know, sort of a fullback, if you will. He can post up. He can hit mid-range shots. He's going to play a little point back up. So I think he's going to be 
Um, a big surprise for the Badgers, Brad Davison, you know, could end up starting, was a former quarterback, uh, and I think he's going to be in the sort of Showalter, Bohannon mode, that people are going to love him. Uh, I think this team's going to be right in the mix in that middle group, challenging to move up, you know, in this sort of transition year. I wouldn't call it a rebuilding year, but a transition year for them. Penn State's intriguing, too. I mean, they got so much returning. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're ever going to make a jump, this is the year. Be this year. Uh, with, I mean, it really has to. I mean, Tony Carr, obviously, is maybe the, the name that people may remember the most from last year. But, um, uh, you know, he is someone that, um, you know, I certainly think that, you know, could have a breakout year. Uh, so I would say that, um, you know, Penn State's one that, I'll just be really intrigued to see if they can break through. You know, one that I'll be—I'll give you another one that um, I will be intrigued by. And there's been a little bit of a buzz that maybe they're being undervalued, and that's Iowa. Um, You know, they did lose Peter Jock, so you could argue, okay, the same thing like with Purdue, where you lose your best player. Uh, Now, Purdue had a much better year than Iowa did last year, but at the same time, you know, does the sum of the parts make it better or anything like that? And I think Peter Jock, not having Peter Jock um, may not be as big a hit, obviously, as Purdue not having Caleb Swanigan. So Iowa is another one with basically four starters back out of the five that uh, certainly could be in the mix in that middle group that could challenge to move up. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that Wisconsin could be a sleeper in the Big Ten, you know, finishing in the top four in, I believe, 16 straight years. And that's why I've, I think they're going to at least contend for a top four, top four finish again because... You know, they just win. And like you said, Kobe King's the guy to keep an eye on because he had a huge debut game in, in one of their exhibitions. And, you know, with Hap coming back and Trice uh, and, and running that system that, that they're used to, um, I, I don't think anyone can discount hey, 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 Here's something quirky, Alex. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, when I was with the Badgers and we were looking over the schedule, and it's a quirky year with the schedule, the Big, big Ten tournament, you know, a week earlier in the, in the garden, mm-hmm. so everything had to be moved around. For whatever reason, however the computer spit it out, Wisconsin, and someone could, I mean, unless I misread it, and I was looking at it with Greg Gard, does not play a Saturday conference game. Huh. I was not aware of that. And uh, we were looking at this. They play a lot of Sunday games, a lot of Sunday games. Um, but I, I could be wrong here. If I read this correctly, I don't think they play a Saturday conference game like from january on um because of the quirkiness of the schedule so a lot of sunday games for the badgers this year for what that's worth kind of a quirk yeah do you think that would uh benefit or or hurt their flow i guess if you will i no i don't think it'll have really any effect just um to be honest what it could do is uh if they have a better year than expected then people are going to see more of them in a weird way because Saturday there's so many games that saturate the, you know, the, um, uh, the schedule, if you will. Yeah. But on Sunday there are fewer games, and if you're one of the only Big Ten teams playing every Sunday, you know, more people are going to see it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, a lot of good stuff, Andy. Uh, and before I let you go, I had to ask one more question unrelated to the Big Ten, um, but it's something cool that you've been known for over the years, and that's filling out the March Madness brackets with President Obama for ESPN. I mean, how cool is that just to be able to go to the White House as part of your job and 
fill out brackets with a president who also knew his stuff when it came to college hoops? Well, I mean, it never got old. Uh, we had a great eight-year run. Um, it was an idea I came up with when I interviewed him during the campaign, and uh, he loved it. And uh, every single time was memorable uh, for its own reasons. Um, you know, the 20 minutes we spent with him, uh, he obviously had you know sort of conversational knowledge of the sport. Uh, and, look, it was an idea that uh, hatched to where everyone now fills out a bracket politically, it seems. Um, you know, at first they're like, oh, you know, you know, too partisan, you can't do that. And now Republicans, Democrats, independents, they're all filling out brackets to show that they're regular people. Uh, and now actually two of the brackets are in the Smithsonian as part of an exhibit that will rotate. So part of history and uh, never got old and certainly was one of the coolest things that I've done. Yeah, I'm bummed as someone who grew up in Illinois and went to Illinois uh, that Illinois had virtually no tournament success during Obama's presidency because that could have seemed like that seemed like a natural fit. You know, he would be kind of be the adopted fan, yeah. just like Bill Murray was back in the mid 2000s, and and it just wasn't to be, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's definitely going to be um, something that uh, I'll remember forever. And um, you know, I, I think there's a chance when things settle down that. Uh, I didn't think he would do it the first year after, but I think in the next couple of years, I think he may be back publicly filling out. He sent in his bracket, just he posted it on you know their foundation website, but I think we can get him back here in the years to come. All right, Andy, uh, sounds good, and that's all I got for you this morning, but obviously we will be leaning on your analysis all season long, uh, watching you on BTN uh, in the studio here, getting out to some games, and hopefully we'll get you on the show again soon, so I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Alex. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks again to Andy for joining me. Again, it'll be awesome seeing him on our network this year in what should be an intriguing season of Big Ten basketball, to say the very least, and... Uh, just a, a quick reminder, if you haven't already, you can go back and listen to this week's Football Focus episode. We had an uh, old friend of Tom Dean Hart and a respected writer, Mike Huguenin, on. We had uh, another episode come out earlier this week with play-by-play man Brian Anderson, who calls uh, Major League Baseball for the Brewers and called the NLCS. Had him on for a general discussion as well. So check those episodes out. Go back in the archives and dig up some old episodes if you want. And... Uh, Help me and Tom Dean how wrong we were earlier in the season about all the uh, bad football predictions we made. Do whatever you want, but uh, just check those out. Stay tuned for future episodes as well by subscribing. And until next time, thanks to everyone, as always, for listening. Thanks to Wes White for producing. And we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.